listening to the Retail Perch with Shaker Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, uh, welcome back to another episode of the Retail Perch. I know we took a week off there in between to just to regroup, and we've got a whole host of amazing guests coming on the show here in the next few weeks, and we have an amazing one uh, for you this week as well. Gary, you want to say a quick hi as we get uh, the show get going? Great to be with you again, Shaker, and looking forward to today's conversation. And uh, yeah, we, we've got some uh, terrific guests coming on over the next few weeks. Uh, one of those uh, being a professor from Georgetown University, where I just wrapped up a couple of classes I did this morning. So that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, and as you know, folks, what we really discuss here is you know, emerging trends, technologies, challenges, you know, more specifically tied to the supermarket vertical, but we're open to ideas. You guys have uh, been reaching out to us and I appreciate all the people who want to be guests on the show, you know, keep those emails coming. If you have any requests of specific topics that you want us to discuss, do email us, the retail perch at birdseye.com. But I don't want to take any more time because I want to bring on our amazing guest here for this week. And he is a well-known figure in retail. He's spoken at many events. Uh, he's been at uh, Microsoft for the last 22 years, primarily uh, solving complex customer challenges using a combination of technology and organization change. He also leads the retail strategy at Microsoft, has the opportunity to work with multiple startups, and he's got an interesting, very unique view into the ecosystem of what's happening in retail across the world. Where I'm sure we're going to learn a bunch of things from him today, so I can't wait to welcome you here, Shish. Welcome to the Retail Perch. Thank you, Shaker, and thank you, Gary. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, and you know, so Sheesh, I know I have seen you, I think we just talked about it before the show kicked off, the, on the stage at Grocery Shop a couple of years ago, but you know, yep. I'd love to know, and I'm sure our listeners were too, as to, you know, your journey of, you know, how you, where did you start from and how did you wind up in, in retail and why are you so excited about it? Yep. So um, my journey in Microsoft, I've, I've been in Microsoft for 24 years and, and really it's, it didn't stop with retail. I was uh, primarily a Lotus Notes guy. And at the time, Lotus Notes was big in the late 90s and Microsoft was working on strategies and products against to compete against Notes. And that's really where I started as a developer evangelist. But that work actually got me engaged with a lot of Microsoft customers. And I was working with the customer ecosystem a fair amount of time, 80% of the time with retailers. And, and that's around the time when Microsoft decided we're going to be focusing on vertical industries and created the vertical industry teams. And I was among the first few people because of my experience and expertise with retail. I started working in the retail industry team, created the strategy and, 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 and what's Microsoft's point of view for retail. Uh, that also got me very deeply engaged in the retail industry, working with NRF and at the time with arts and also working with all of the top retailers around the world, understanding what the big challenges were and applying technology to them. And that was really a big part of my learning journey over the years from the early 2000s till now, where I've been deeply engaged with, with retailers around the world. And, and, and that's been my education, really. That also, at the same time, I think, uh, got me into working on white papers, collaborating with retailers, collaborating with arts on the retail 
data model and and also most recently just before arts migrated over to omg worked on iot for retail and all of that i think was was really my my introduction education and along the way i found i think a passion for retail it is a very exciting space which is a combination of something that is very personal for people shopping is a big part of everybody and at the same time the other element that's really interesting is the combination of how technology is transforming the landscape and changing the way almost at a very rapid pace how retail is being done i think for many years it was pretty much the same thing and then we saw a very rapid change happening most importantly i would say last year we saw an acceleration of things and 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 that was i think for me a very exciting period where we were seeing the vision that we had that was 3 or 4 years down becoming reality for for many retailers a lot of the capabilities that would have probably taken maybe a couple of years got implemented in a couple of months and and I think that transformation the ability to impact change in how retail is being done was was very exciting and i think that combination of of technology and retail and and the possibilities there excites me a lot and and i think we are barely there in that overall journey of how retail is going to transform i think there is a long way to go there's a lot of transformations there's a lot of exciting technology coming out and and retailers are experimenting exploring all of these things and i think we are we're barely there i mean i'm looking at everything from mixed reality virtual reality most importantly i'm super excited about additive manufacturing and how that is going to impact retail and e-commerce and i think that there's best is yet to come i'm saying yeah yeah well you know i was going to tell my listeners that if you could see how excited shish was you almost feel like he's going to jump out of the screen <laughs> i can see i can see the excitement that shish has about retail and we definitely share in that optimism and excitement here no question about that and i guess you know when you have such um, massive events happen it always spurs innovation it spurs you know, out of the yeah. box thinking right because right. you got solutions to things and it's and it's it's amazing to see what's been coming about but uh, gary you want to uh, pick up sure i'll i'll jump in with a question here so you know from your perspective and i i think you've got a really interesting view in the retail from from where you sit at microsoft you know as you were just saying obviously a lot has happened over the mm-hmm. past 12 18 months and retail traditional retailers in a sense almost being forced to change yep um do you think looking forward that retailers traditional retailers are going to be able to change fast enough to keep up with you know the this massive transformation that's happening across the industry you know where where do you see the big challenges well i i think the the challenges in the past so if i look at you know the the driving force last year um compared to you know pre 2020 uh the pace at which that transformation is happening and and what happened last year i think the the situations that trigger the the uh transformation is an important element for it to 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 move forward very quickly um i i think uh the challenge that i see is unless there is a trigger and the trigger to me 
is today the internet is still a huge trigger where loyalty isn't what it used to be. It is eroding very quickly, and 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 retailers are trying to to maintain customer loyalty, reduce churn. So that itself is a trigger. The the technology capabilities are are forcing it. Uh, last year, I think uh, it was more so mainly because the way people could shop was heavily impacted and, and retailers had to react to it very quickly in order to survive. And I think uh, in, in a lot of cases, it is the, the ones that transform very quickly are the ones that can survive, the ones that are always looking ahead into, into technologies and what could happen and are already prepared are the ones that have survived in the past. The, the ones that are always in a very reactive mode have struggled historically. And I think the, the challenge is really that retailers should continue to be in that mode where they are innovating for possible changes in the ecosystem. They're looking at that next wave, what is going to happen, what are customers expecting and not being in a, in a reactive mode. I think the biggest challenge for retailers today is being in a reactive mode. I think many uh, sort of went into reactive last year and, and did not see what was coming. Yeah, so, so I agree with that. I, I think I'd also add to that historically, the retailers, traditional retailers, uh, very much controlled their own pace of innovation, right? How yeah. fast they wanted to innovate, what they wanted to do, where. Um, uh, all of a sudden, they don't have that control anymore. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, again, the past 12, 18 months, a lot of it driven by the internet, online shopping, e-commerce, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, I guess from my perspective, I'd broaden that out to mm -hmm. sort of think of the, really the digitalization of the whole industry and what's happening today. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the big, big challenges that traditional retailers mm -hmm. increasingly are going to have is trying to keep pace with innovation that's happening everywhere, right? right. So it's not only everything around e-commerce today and mm -hmm. everything digital related mm -hmm. to that around user engagement, mm -hmm. which brings with it personalization that mm -hmm. impacts business models, all these other things, but, you know, things like computer vision platforms, right? Mm -hmm. Like Amazon Go, now digitizing the store right? Bringing with it all new capabilities, new ways to think about retail and understand what's happening inside the store and reacting mm -hmm. to that automation across mm -hmm. everything, the supply mm -hmm. chain, et cetera. I think from my perspective, it's the big challenge is can retailers keep pace with all this now happening in an ever faster pace everywhere across their organization today? Yep. Yep. And, you know, when, I, when I'm working, so I work with a lot of the innovative startups and disruptors in, in the space. And one of the challenges when I'm having the conversations with retailers is if they look at it as in the lens of here is something innovative that we need to do they don't really tend to adopt that because that really isn't going anyway. It is, it is about, here's a shiny new toy. Here's a cool yeah. way of using uh, augmented reality or mixed reality in my store. But really, I think if they have created the vision of where they want to be, what are the possible disruptors that they are going to be fighting against over the next couple of years? And are planning for how do we address those things and what technologies do we need 
to overcome? What's our strategy for online? What's our strategy for omni-channel? What's our strategy for all of the possibilities that's going to come along the way? I think, and then mapping in the capabilities they want to use. I think that is the the approach that many of the retailers that I work with have succeeded. And then there is ones that are kind of randomly looking at interesting technology, experimenting with it, but it is not part of a bigger vision or a strategy. And, and I think that's where I've seen success or failure in, in implementing new things. And, and a lot of the startup technologies have been implemented, but have not really gone anywhere. In some cases they have, and that's because it was part of that bigger strategy and they know why they're implementing it, what they're trying to address. And they kind of seen the, you know, what's going to happen in that shopper journey in, in two years, what is the expectations of shoppers and can be plan for it now rather than react to some situation that happens. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, in fact, I think, uh, Gary, uh, several weeks ago, months ago at this point, we've had retailers on our show and we're talking about what does it take to make this change happen? It's not just a matter of technology being available, but it's also yep. the organizational change and the, uh, and the vision coming top down, being communicated mm-hmm. well enough so you can change the culture Exactly. Right. Because especially in the industry that we uh, are focused on at Birdseye, which is a supermarket, uh, everything is so operational focused. Mm-hmm. Right? There's yeah. many, uh, it's, it's rare. Uh, I mean, there are several of them and we work with quite a few of them that are visionary and kind of do things ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. A lot yep. of them last year, for example, they were just scrambling to, you know, to get mm-hmm. all the e-commerce stuff in place and to, you know, get anything that they can off the shelf to keep business going. Now, of course, last year, supermarkets did extremely well. I I don't think any of them is really complaining. They probably had their Mm -hmm. best year in a long time. Uh, And I think this year we're seeing a lot of them kind of wake up and say, hey, we've got to start doing something with our data. Otherwise, these people who are online businesses who Mm -hmm. are digital natives are going to start coming into the physical, you know, business and eat our lunch because they're already digitally trained Mm -hmm. to handle data in in a fashion that that can get the maximum out of it. And exactly the interesting thing, Shish, at least what we see Mm -hmm. in supermarket Mm -hmm. retail is there's oodles of data, right? It's incredibly first party data is so, so rich that you mm-hmm. barely have to look beyond your own first party data to understand your customers. Whereas in most other retail, you have to scrounge around 20 different mm-hmm. things to put together a piece of uh, right. what your customer looks like. Mm-hmm. And I think the complacency of having so much data mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, is, 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 is sometimes, you know, having too much is actually a detriment because you don't mm-hmm. tend to be innovative on the cutting edge. Uh, but right, we're yeah. seeing a lot of retailers now come up mm-hmm. and realize what they have on their hands and say, hey, we've mm-hmm. got to start doing something with, with this stuff, right? But the exactly. question, and I'm going to pose this both to Gary and Sheesh, is, you know, mm-hmm. it's a question of innovation. Most typical, at least in the supermarket mm-hmm. grocery retail vertical, innovation is not a department in a company. Mm-hmm. What does it take for some uh, retailers? And these people have been successful. They've been, some of these companies have been around for 100 years. So, you, you know, mm-hmm. they've done, a, they've, gone through many waves and many disruptions in the economy and they're still there. So that's a testament to the fact of their, uh, you know, their resilience to generally what happens, but how do they, how do you, what is your opinion about how you bring this culture of innovation into a retail organization? 
Yep. And, and that's an interesting question because uh, over the last couple of years, I've, I've worked with retailers that did have innovation teams within the company. And in many cases, those innovation teams were a silo that worked independently, were not at, you know, connected to the parent company in any way. And, and when I worked with startups, they would you know, experiment with a lot of these. They would do proof of concepts and pilots and all of those. But implementing that was always a challenge because now they had to deal with the operations team. And, and now in the real world, it, they don't work exactly the way they did in a pilot in a lab. So I, I kind of think the, you know, the, the siloed approach to innovation does not quite work, but rather having a innovation culture within the company itself, where innovation is part of what the operations of the of the the stores has, and there is innovation, and innovation is an element of of the business, and it's top down, like you mentioned, where there is a drive to figure out, you know, what's that next couple of years going to look like for each part of that business? What's that supply chain going to look like? What's the store operations going to look like? What are the possible disruptors that that they need to be worrying about and what is the plan in place? And I think if it is an integral part of that organization, one, there, the, when we do an implementation with them, it is being implemented in one of their, one of their stores. It is part of that uh, bigger plan. It is not a separate implementation. And I think that is where I've seen success and failure in companies where I- innovation is part of the mainstream organization. We've, we've actually seen success. And in cases where it's not, we've seen pilots and that's where it ended. And, and we've just seen a series of pilots that really didn't get anywhere. And when it came for the actual disruptor came in place, the company wasn't ready to handle it because the innovation team kind of did their own thing separate from, from the main company. At least that was my observation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, I, I, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, from my discussions and work with uh, retailers and, and what I'm seeing is, uh, I, I think a couple things, you know, is, is one is where that innovation is coming from, right, being driven by an innovation team or elsewhere in the company, as soon as it runs into operations is where the big disconnect begins to happen, yep. right? And, and even big retailers really struggling with, mm-hmm. you know, gee, we've already we've always done it this way, you know, what do you mean we have to change, right? It's not broken, why do we have to change? It's overcoming that sort of cultural hurdle that I see a lot of companies grapple with, including, you know, again, some big, big retailers. You know, I, I think the other piece of it, again, that I'm seeing is, you know, retail, the shaker, I think you were just saying, you know, retail is detail, right? It's all about execution. You know, retail, certainly grocery retail operates on razor thin profit margins. You know, it's, it's all about cost control, execution, et cetera. Uh, and that has created a culture over the years of a almost shying away from any kind of risk in doing new different things, right? Until they've been proven out by someone else somewhere else. And, and along with that, uh, because of that execution culture, I find a lot of retail executives Aren't is attuned to thinking strategically, to mm-hmm. stepping back and understanding 
not only new technologies, but more so the implications of those new technologies mm-hmm. and where things, Shish, as you were saying, could go, what these can support doing and thinking mm-hmm. sort of outside the box to do that. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And, and, you know, great example, uh, several retailers uh, started rolling out robots on the store floor. And in many cases, they hadn't prepared the organization as well for it. They hadn't prepared the employees for it and, and the expectations. And there was, I would say, animosity from the employees towards the robots. And, and that was, I think, a, an interesting example. And I would say a case study of how things should and shouldn't be yes. implemented. In, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any uh, examples of innovation that's kind of succeeded where you kind of seen uh, the organization buy into it and actually roll it out successfully? So one of the ones that I've seen is in pick and pack robotics, uh, which is backroom, of course. And, and, and I would say the, the driver for it was really the, you know, 2020 in a way, the many call it the 2020 to be the CTO of retail. And 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 really uh, what I've kind of seen is several pick and pack, uh, I've been working with pick and pack robots for the last couple of years and there was not much of a pickup on it. There were retailers experimenting with it. But then when 2020 happened, what really the big transformation in, in my mind was the stores truly started becoming, you know, one, dark stores in some cases, and micro warehouses or partial micro warehouses in many cases, and and online ordering picked up. And as a result, there was some level of automation needed to do the pick and pack. And a lot of retailers started looking at uh, pick and pack robotics. There was several companies I was working with, uh, Alert Innovation was one of them, which you know, prior to 2020, didn't have a lot of implementations, but then 2020 was sort of, I would say, the tipping point. Um, several of the pick and pack robotics kind of are currently being deployed across all of the stores in 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 Walmart and and uh, elsewhere as well. And I think that was, I would say, a successful implementation because uh, it, it was one of those things where you know the. The vision for micro warehouses was already built within many of the, the visionary retailers who said, this is going to be the future. They started preparing for it a couple of years ahead. It wasn't an idea they picked up in 2020. It was something that was in the works for a couple of years, and then it just mushroomed in 2020. Yeah. So I, I think that's a good example, but I, I think one of the reasons that tech has been picked up and embraced by you know a growing number of retailers yep. is because it, it fits with how retailers think and operate right yep. you know mm-hmm. back to my my comments of a few minutes ago you know mm-hmm. retail is all about execution cost control efficiencies and so on you know micro fulfillment centers automating distribution fits really neatly into that right mm-hmm. um yep. it, you know it, it makes logical sense it's mm-hmm. intuitive and certainly again in the last 12 to 18 months all of a sudden, hey, we need that if we're going to make online profitable, right? So mm-hmm. there was the trigger yep. and the driver. I think other areas where innovation begins impacting business models, uh, user experience, those areas, I think are harder mm-hmm. or more challenging yep. for retailers to get mm-hmm. their hands around yep. and implement and move forward with. 
that, that where it requires breaking something that they don't think is broken mm -hmm. uh, and, and replacing it with something new. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that's where I think this gets more challenging. Yeah, I totally agree. No, I, I think excellent points, both of you brought up. So Sheesh, in your opinion, uh, if you were to bet your money on mm -hmm. the next few things, big things happening in the next two, three years, what would be some of those areas that you see, you think big so, so one of the areas I think is going to be a big tipping point is, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, is uh, additive manufacturing. Uh, supply chain is a massive issue right now, and it's getting worse. Uh, it went from cars to appliances and everything else. And, and I think uh, in the apparel world as well, I'm kind of seeing a challenge, for example, in fast fashion, where Zara is leading, but then all its competitors are struggling with the supply chain. They're, they're finding new designs, but it's impossible to get that design in stores in less than three months, which is too long. And um, I think additive manufacturing addresses a lot of those challenges. It addresses offshore manufacturing. It addresses supply chain delays. It addresses logistics and cost of shipping. And it plays a part in many retail aspects. One is, uh, you know, a company like Home Depot Lowe's, for example, uh, spare parts could be on demand. Uh, a lot of things could be built in custom. So inventory could be, you could have that endless aisle concept with additive manufacturing. With apparel, it gets even more interesting. You know, the whole aspect of custom uh, outfits on demand in the store. I think that's that's a very interesting aspect of it. It changes the world of e-commerce. It changes inventory, it changes a lot of things. Uh, today we have uh, self-published books, for example, and that concept where designers could actually go to a marketplace and publish their digital designs, which could be purchased and printed. I think that to me is that big disruptor to the supply chain and e-commerce that, that is NFT for happening. Design. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think that there's a lot of that happening and uh, we're going to see the results of that I would say in under two years. Wow, wow, wow! So that's that's in the design uh, field. I know you you have had some thoughts on grocery retail as well. In fact, I saw I think I saw a, a, a video of yours where you were talking about a location analytics platform that you were maybe yeah. Microsoft startups or some internal. Well, I, I at some point I I worked in uh, engineering in uh, Azure Maps, which is a geospatial platform and. And that whole area is totally fascinating because, uh, and, and in a way controversial, not the geospatial aspect, right. but the data behind it. So many of the companies that I've worked with were data aggregators that collected mobile data. And that in itself, I mean, that gives so, so much information to, to retailers. Uh, I'm sure that's, that's uh, you're familiar with that aspect of it, which is if I'm collecting location data, I can build your persona with inference models. I know where you live based on the patterns of where you go to every, every evening. I can build, build a profile of where you work because that location data tells me that. I can build a profile of 
how athletic you are based on what kind of activities you do. I can determine whether you have a dog or not based on whether you go to a dog park. I can determine what kind of food you like based on the restaurants you go to and all of that. So I'm kind of piecing all of that information using location data, building a profile about you, and then using that for personalization. In addition to that location data, there's other really fascinating uh, examples that, that I've been looking at where uh, things like catchment analysis, where I'm analyzing a, a location, a retail location, and I'm using that mobile data to determine what's the pattern of people that come in? What's the traffic look like? Is this a busy location? And if it is a busy location, what are the places people go to? And because each of those dots in the location data has got demographic data associated with it, I can tell what's the average gender and age group and and segment of people that come to these locations. Where do they go to? Mondays, what are the kind of people that go there versus a weekend? All of that. Uh, I can then use it with conversion data to, to make, you know, all of these people coming in, where are the sales happening? I can figure out correlations. People come to this restaurant and they go somewhere else. And then I can drive promotions based on that. So it is a fascinating world. I think the whole uh, location and geospatial and and driving personalization and understanding people with that. Uh, and, and, and that's a huge opportunity in that space. Yeah. So what else? What, do you, what am I, what's your take on, you know, what's happening in grocery in terms of uh, touchless commerce? commerce. Do, you, do you see a huge future in that? Uh, I, I do, I do. So, well, grocery, uh, in, t- in terms of touchless, my, my personal view is, uh, you know, grocery in itself is generally not 100%, but is going in the autonomous direction. And when I say autonomous direction is right from, you know, the customer ordering. Like for today, uh, if I were to look at a retail as two different uh, extremes, on the one hand is, I would say, experiential retail. Uh, which is fashion and everything else, where the focus is going to be on experience, on theater, on personalization. On the other extreme, I would say convenience and express, where this is going towards the direction of autonomous and grocery falls in that other extreme, where people are kind of saying shopping, there's one part of shopping that I'm going to enjoy, that's going to be discovery, that's going to be theater, and there's going to be another part of Uh, shopping that is going to be seamless, autonomous, invisible, and it's going to automatically happen. So my pantry and my refrigerator will automatically fill up and I don't have to worry about that aspect of it. So I'm kind of seeing, uh, you know, many of the startups I'm working with where from a home perspective, looking at the patterns of what you buy, finding the repetitive nature of what you buy and say, we can convert that to a subscription so you don't have to add it to your shopping list anymore. So it's automated. And and then there is in the IoT world, all of the sensors that come into play that determine, you know, when you run out of something or close to run out of something, can it automatically reorder? So that level of automation and that those orders are going to a system that will determine what's the closest micro warehouse for you for micro fulfillment. The pick and pack robotics will come into play and pack everything up and either make it available for curbside pickup or in-store pickup or delivery 
And then the, the whole uh, area that we are seeing with autonomous delivery, everything from drones to ground vehicles for delivery. And I, I think there is there's a whole lot of automation happening in the entire life cycle of grocery that, that is interesting. How soon will that happen? There's elements of that already in place. And you know, uh, I think uh, we're kind of going to that towards that. Uh, will grocery shopping be 100% autonomous? Maybe not. But I think for a lot of people, big elements of it will be right from home to uh, to actually fulfillment. Yeah, Shish, give me your thoughts on another kind of automation, uh, and I'm thinking of uh, you know business process automation, right? That is enabled by AI expert yep. systems and so on. Uh, you know, we're seeing this in other industries, you know, financial services, insurance, etc. And I. I the more I've thought about this, I see this as, again, really transformative to retail, right? You look at, you know, across retail today, and again, well, it's small store, but bigger organizations, you know, the, the dozens, hundreds of people tasked with making routine decisions around, you know, do we pick this new product up? You know, where is it placed in the store? What retail price do we put on it? How much inventory do we order? When do we promote it? you know, that lends itself to expert mm-hmm. systems. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. bird's eye is playing in the space of, of marketing automation, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, again, potentially eliminating or freeing up, you know, mm-hmm. teams of people on the retail side, mm-hmm. but it's, it's more than just resource savings or reallocation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. These systems, you know, ultimately make better decisions than human beings can make, more mm-hmm. effective decisions, and make them much, much faster. Yeah. Um, so uh, give me your thoughts around that space. I think there's a lot happening in that space. Uh, one of them that I can think of is, you know, digital twin. Digital twin technology and IoT is, you know, was never used in retail as much. It was mainly being used in manufacturing. But I've kind of seen uh, a lot of retailers exploring it for among other things, it is for uh, supply chain. So the decisions on, you know, uh, to ensure that the products are in store very quickly and they want to figure out based on situations happening, they will determine which warehouse should it be fulfilled from, uh, should it be moved from a store. So all of that simulation is happening in the digital twin and the decisions are automated where when certain things happen, the digital twin model will automatically determine where should it be fulfilled from. And this is dynamic and it's constantly happening. And this is where I think that complex decision processes that need to happen to ensure uh, the supply chain to be functioning smoothly, where changes need to happen based on situations like a ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal or, or so things like that. And, or weather patterns. So that's one element uh, where I'm seeing that the, the, the decision support or automated decision-making is happening in supply chain. The, the other one that I saw as well is processes that are being connected. Like for example, I'm working with a, st- a startup called Stratosynth that has got a smell sensor. So it's a electronic nose and, and we're working with uh, grocers where uh, food spoilage is a big issue, and they're able to train the AI models to detect, you know, when, what does it smell like for a certain food when it's bad, when it's about to go bad, and, and they're putting a level of automation into it, where 
when it detects something is about to go bad, it they're plugging it into their dynamic pricing system so that the pricing is automatically adjusted and, and the human element is completely removed. The systems are taking over. They're detecting the smell, controlling the prices, or if something is uh, out of stock, for example, the shelf sensors detect something is uh, missing from the shelf, it'll automatically trigger a notification to a store associate will replenish it. So that level of automation is actually connecting systems together is, is increasing. And, and I think uh, it's been fascinating to see uh, all of those tiny little automations connecting systems. Yes. It's almost like systems talking to each other. And that that is super fascinating. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. Yeah, that's 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 fascinating. I mean, uh, Gary, like, uh, I think we could continue for another couple of hours here, you know. Uh, <laughs> I have a feeling that if people are listening to this podcast in the car, they might lose their way or decide they want to get to the destination longer because this is so fascinating. But uh, Sheesh, we got to get you back on here because the, this conversation can possibly end with this episode because I feel that uh, we have a lot of overlap in terms of what we work on OBC and I think definitely a lot of ideas to be exchanged. And, and I think personally, I, I'm going to be listening to this, this recording again because I, there's a lot of points that you made, I think, which are very deep. And I really appreciate you taking the time, coming on the show and you know sharing all these amazing thoughts. And I hope you'll uh, accept another invitation to come back on and absolutely yeah and next time on you'll you'll come on with the retail perch mark and we'll all have coffee together or whatever you put in that mug it's up, it's up to you <laughs> right uh but uh gary any 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 thoughts um, uh, no this, this has been really fascinating i agree i'd love to get you back on because there's just so much more we can talk about here yeah and i think uh, the unique perspective that i see here she says of course you know we are you know relatively siloed i live in the grocery retail vertical world but you are looking at retail in a more you know wider perspective mm -hmm. and and, I'm, and i'd love to have a conversation about how different retail verticals can actually mm -hmm. impact innovation you know yep. what can you learn from the fashion industry that can be applied in grocery or, or vice right. versa right because mm -hmm. uh, i think that degree of cross-pollination is not happening mm -hmm. uh and what I find is that people, you know, like fashion retail or specialty retail tend to be much more innovative because they're more uh, data scarce and they have yep. to be innovative about collecting data, transforming right. it into something that's meaningful uh, and how those practices can maybe be used and mm -hmm. leveraged by somebody in grocery retail, right? Because exactly. learn. I'd love to have a conversation around things like that because I think, I think ultimately innovation comes from learning from mm -hmm. what's happening in one field exactly. and figuring out how to map it to use it in another field, right? right? Immediate uh, application yep. of innovation, right? So no, it's totally been fascinating. I, I'd love to get you back on as a guest if we can, uh, if you can slot us in, in your busy times. But, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Fascinating conversation, Shish. Uh, I just want to, if you want to, anything that you want to tell our listeners before we sign off here? No, this has been, uh, I would say, a very fascinating conversation. I think the 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 inputs and insights, both from you, Shaker and Gary, has been uh, very interesting. It's made that conversation uh, very lively, and I look forward to having more conversations with you. From a startup's perspective, I'm always looking for innovations. That's what excites me. So if any spot startups are listening to this, feel free to reach out to me. Yeah, please do. And I certainly will as, as yep. birds eye after this for, for sure. Absolutely. 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 But I, I wanted to thank all, all you guys out there who've been listening to us and hopefully we've been providing value and bring some interesting uh, content. I think today's was 
as, as a departure from most stuff that we talk about. We're talking about overall retail landscape. And uh, if you got any requests, please keep them coming in. I do want to thank Stephanie Doherty, who produces the show for us. So she does an amazing job and uh, appreciate you guys following us. And uh, if, you, if you want to be a guest on the show, like I said again, just email us at the retail purchase birds.com and uh, we'll certainly be happy to look into it. That uh, is over for today. We'll talk to you guys soon. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off. <laughs>